Our first uh, scripture reading is from the New Testament. It's from Matthew's Gospel. It's actually a parable that Jesus tells. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. I'm going to pick it up a part of the way through. I invite you to follow along as I start in verse 35 of Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to the one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a woman named Carol owned a very, very successful hotel on Park Avenue in New York, and she was one of the premier socialites on the city scene. And she did all that she could do to put down her cousin and make him feel inferior to her. And each January in her hotel, Carol held this gala extravaganza for all of the important people in New York City, politicians, business people, celebrities, you name it. It was kind of a banquet of who's who amongst famous New Yorkers, but Carol made sure that her cousin Bill was never invited. Well, not long after, Bill's dad, John Jacob, died leaving a fortune of $100 million to be distributed amongst the surviving family members. Now, as much as that sounds, I'm talking about this amount of money in terms of over 125 years ago, so you can imagine how much it was worth back then. Well, Bill received the lion's share of that $100 million, and he plotted to get even with his cousin Carol, who had continuously snubbed him. And so he constructed a big, beautiful hotel, larger and fancier and much nicer than Carol's hotel. And where did Bill build this magnificent structure? You guessed it. He built it right next to Carol's. Well, that was too much for Carol. She was not going to have her snooty little cousin show her up. And so she took some of the fortune that was given to her and she expanded her hotel. And as a result, her luxury hotel had, no, had now more size and elegance and ambiance than her cousin's. But Bill was not to be outdone. And so he planned to build a brand new luxury hotel, bigger and better than Carol's on the other side of Manhattan. Well, then Bill's managing director, you might want to think of him as a kind of modern day Solomon. He recommended to Bill to stop all of this madness of this can you top this contest. He told Bill that rather than try to beat Carol, why not join her? become partners with her. And Bill did just that. And so the money that was going to be used to finance a new hotel was put into Bill's existing structure in order to unite the two hotels together. And so Bill and Carol became partners in the hotel business. 
Well, if you haven't guessed by now, I'm talking about William Waldorf and Carol Astor of the famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel, one of the largest hotel commercial buildings in the world. But what it really gets to talking about is this idea of being in partnership with each other. As we begin this new year together, we have one thing in common. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are partners in the gospel. I'm beginning a new sermon series to start the new year, and we're gonna be looking at the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And so why not begin at the beginning? And so I invite you to join me as I read from the book of Philippians, chapter one, verses one through 11. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. And then here's our key voice, uh, verse for today, verse five. Because of your sharing or partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you sharing God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And once again, would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray that as we open your word on this first Sunday of the new year, that you would have your word leap off the page and into our lives, filling us with the light and life and love of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. What do you think makes for a strong church? What do you think makes for a healthy church? Trust me when I say this to you, it is not, not who is the pastor. I know of plenty of churches who have not only just survived, but thrived during a rather difficult time with their pastor or even in absence of having a pastor. And the reason is that it's not all about one person doing whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. It is about a partnership, not a handshake deal, not something that you sign on a piece of paper, but a partnership that says we belong to God and we belong to each other. When we have this level of commitment, when we have this firm belief that we're all in it together, that we're pushing all of our chips to the middle of the table, that we are bound by the Spirit, that's when things happen. A partnership in the gospel allows amazing things to happen. The late Henry Nouwen began having a daily Eucharist, that is a 
uh, service of the Lord's Supper at the university where he taught for a number of years in Canada. And at first, the service did not go over very well as maybe one or two students attended. But gradually, it seemed to catch on and more and more students started coming. And what was interesting to Father Nowen was that the students who did not even know each other and often had very different viewpoints came together as a worshiping community. In fact, Henry Nowen wrote, most of these people would have never chosen each other as friends or companions, but they all, often quite for different reasons, felt attracted to a daily Eucharistic celebration in which the word of God was read and proclaimed and the body and blood of Christ shared. And then over the next several months, these different students found themselves drawn together as a worshiping community. So think about it. These people, they had different interests, but they developed this sort of special bond based not on physical, emotional, or financial attractiveness, based not on social compatibility or having some of the uh, same interests of things, but based on the presence of the living Christ. And as these students participated in that daily uh, communion, they became partners in the gospel as they were strengthened by each other's presence. Henry Nowen wrote, all of them started to experience support from each other in their daily struggles. Many became good friends, and some even found their partners for life. Such were the remarkable fruits of spiritual community. You see, when we see evidence of being partners in the gospel, amazing things happen. We personally experience how it bonds and unites and transforms lives as it draws men and women closer together in Christ. Well, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes his letter to individual Christians living in Philippi. And after his opening address and greeting, he gives thanks uh, for them. He gives thanks to his joy, but thanks because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, just so you know, just so we're clear, these were not people without problems. The way Paul writes, sometimes you think that these people were perfect, but that is not the case. Verse 30 tells us that they were going through some of the same struggles that Paul had gone through. Like Paul, they too had been persecuted for many of the same reasons, by many of the same people. Then Paul also warns them about a, di a, a division in the church. He says in chapter 2, verse 2, which we will look at more next week, make my joy complete in being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. And then later in chapter 3, Paul tells them to stop trying to be perfect. Instead, he writes, take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. So like the students who are at the university where Henry Nowen taught, the people at Philippi were very different in many ways, but Paul thanks them in this first chapter for being partners in the gospel. And so it is with you and me, despite our differences, whether it's our church background, our, our geographic differences, our financial differences, our political differences, our sports teams differences, <laughs> our family structure and status, there is one spiritual truth. We are all 
one family of God. The problem comes when there may be family members who don't think like us, act like us, and for whatever reason, just don't like us, period. In Philadelphia, a television reporter is interviewing a woman in front of her home. And he asks her why she helped participate in a protest to run a black couple out of the neighborhood. And she said, well, I wouldn't want my kids to get to know the blacks. And when the reporter asked why, the woman answered, because they might get to like them. And that, that's the problem, isn't it? We have a fear of becoming partners with people who may not be like us and may be different from us. And yet uh, I found that we are all descended from one mother and father through molecular biology research and DNA tracings. Scientists at the University of Berkeley or University of California in Berkeley uh, and Harvard University agreed that, with the, that there was once this woman whom they called Eve who lived about 200,000 years ago and that she is the mother of us all. Her genes can be found in every human being living on earth today. That makes all of the 7 billion plus people on planet earth blood relatives as these mutual Eves are something like the 10,000 to the power great grandmother of us all. We are one family. We are partners in the gospel. And you know what? That, that oneness also has to be affirmed with those who have not yet come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we are from one family, Jesus then holds us accountable to those other members of the family who are not quite as far along in their journey of faith. Those who still hunger for the one who is the bread of life. Those who thirst for the one who is the living water and who promises to quench our thirst forever. Because we're all one family, Christ holds us accountable not only to the strangers, but for those who are strange. Those who need clothes, those who are sick, who are hungry, to visit with those in prison. Jesus said, and you heard me read it earlier in Matthew's gospel, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it also to me. But you know, that can be so hard for us. And so in order to feel spiritual, we will try to act spiritual, but we'll sort of maintain that spirituality at a distance, at arm's length, and not quite invest ourselves in any kind of care or compassion or partnership in the gospel. I came across this letter uh, this past week from a church in Canada. It says, listen, Christian, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club to discuss my hunger. Thank you. I was in prison, and you crept off to a chapel in your neighborhood to pray for my release. I was cold and naked, and in your mind, you debated with others the morality of my naked appearance. I was homeless, and you preached to me about spiritual shelter, the house of God, and the protection of his love. I was sick, and you knelt down and thanked God for your good health. I was lonely and cold, and you left me alone to pray for me. Yes, Christian, you seem so close to God, and maybe you are, but I'm still very hungry. 
and I am still very lonely, and I am still very cold. A partnership in the gospel means sharing the gospel, doing kingdom work with those who are hurting, those who are different, those who don't look or act or think like me. I've always admired the work of Marx. Pause for effect. Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx was Jewish, but he was married to a Gentile. And he once asked a friend, how do I go about getting into that posh beach club in Santa Monica? And his friend said back to him rather uneasily, uh, yeah, don't try to get in that club. They're, uh, mm, well, mm, they're anti-Semitic. And so Groucho Marx thought for a moment, and then he said, well, my son is only half Jewish. Do you think they'll let him go into the water up to his knees? <laughs> Groucho Marx, in only ways that he could, exposes the absurdity of discrimination and a lack of partnership in the gospel. Friends, this world is uh, faced with massive problems and we ought to somehow figure out a way to work together in unity, work together and with one another toward a common purpose and goal. One of the many hymns that Bill and Gloria Gaither composed goes like this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel the sod from a part of the family, the family of God. We are all one family. So the next time you judge someone else to be unworthy, just remember how unworthy you and I are of the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. And if loving people is just not your bag, just remember the sacrifice that God made for us by giving up his only son for an unholy, unworthy, unlovable humanity. Let's remember that in Jesus' suffering, we are lifted up. We are lifted up to his presence. And so he calls us into partnership. We are to be partners with other believers. We are to be partners in the gospel, seeking to lift others up as well. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for these words that come to us right out of the gate in uh, your servant Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, and yet 2,000 years later, it still resonates, and it's for us as well. Help us, O oh God, to partner with each other in this ministry of the gospel as we worship, as we learn, as we give, as we serve, as we give ourselves away to make a difference right under our noses and out in the world that you have made. Convict our hearts, O oh God, in ways that we can make your love tangible, practical, and meaningful to those whom we know and to those whom we don't, to those who believe and to those who have not yet been gripped by the power of your grace. Allow us, O oh God, to bear witness to the good news of the gospel in all that we say and do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.